and fan the flame. That's what we're going after, all right? May God get all the glory all year long in 2021. No matter the circumstance, I will look to my King. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you, and uh, it's great to be celebrating along the way. Man, we are in a a series here, uh, Fan the Flame. And actually, we're on the last week of the series. This is it. We've been walking through this uh, for all of January, February, and March. And uh, just excited to kind of wrap our arms around the end of this book in 2 Timothy and grasp all that it has to say. You know, as we dive into the passage today, we're going to see Paul doing a little bit of reminiscing. He's looking back. He's remembering. And, you know, there's times for us to do that, right? Like, uh, it's good for us to practice those things. I don't... Like it's, it's been over a year that we've been in COVID. It's nice to be able to take a little bit of thought of the progress we've had recently on it and uh, just be able to celebrate a little bit of the progress in the journey. Or, you know, this last weekend, my wife and I were able to get out for our 27th anniversary. Our 27th anniversary was Friday night. So we uh, ended up going to, amen, thanks. I don't know if you're applauding that John made it through or that, but, uh, you know, super excited to be able to... Uh, just have a, a great relationship with Jana and 27 years of marriage. And so we went out Friday night and, and uh, one of the things we did is we just talked over a meal was reminisced about the best vacations we had, uh, the most notorious vacations we had, right? Some of those like never ever do that again, right? Let's, that's the plan there. And, and uh, just being able to laugh a little bit and think back a little bit and reminisce. Man, that's some of what Paul is going to be doing in this passage today. And so as we dive in, our job is to be going after fanning the flame. Fanning the flame by remembering, by understanding, by reflecting, and by grasping the plan as we move forward. All right? So do me a favor as you turn here, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. We're going to get going in uh, this last sermon. This sermon is titled, Testimony, Live It, Speak It. Man, may we stand for our God. May we stand for his word and the gospel. And may we grasp even our, our remembering all that God is doing in our lives. All right? Live it and speak it. As he starts out here, point number one, he's saying basically, be aware of wolves in the church and in your life. And he's giving a heads up to some of the struggles that he had gone through and that Timothy might be going through. And so be aware of wolves in the church and in your life. He starts out, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Man, may it not be charged against them. This is Paul. You can hear him. He's kind of looking back. Some of it's some heartache. And he's also making some decisions and some statements and some challenges for Timothy as they move forward. Make sure you keep these things in line. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Most likely this is the same Alexander that's mentioned in the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. There's an Alexander mentioned there. And uh, same guy, same troubles, like lots of struggle. This is a couple years later now, and uh, some struggles still going on. He even gets a little more specific. Now it's not Alexander. It's Alexander, the coppersmith or the metal worker. And uh, the guy that was in the community that did some handiwork, but he was a big problem 
as well. Alexander the coppersmith, notice he says he did me great harm. He doesn't say he did the church great harm or he did Christ great harm. This became personal somehow. We don't know the details of what went on, but somehow Alexander went at Paul. He took him on. He definitely took on the message. We're going to see that in just a little bit. He took on the gospel message and began to reverse some things. He began to speak some heresy. He was taking a stand in that way for sure. But there were some other things happening. And some even think maybe Alexander had some sway in being able to get Paul arrested. Some think maybe he had something to do with the legal ramifications of what was going on in Paul's later life here. We talked about it over the last couple of weeks, his kind of grinding it out in the prison in a very rough environment in those closing couple of years and even recognizing that his days are now numbered. And he's like, man, this guy Alexander really tried to do me harm and in fact did cause me great harm. It hurt me. It hurt me emotionally, it hurt me spiritually, it hurt me physically. It's not real specific and clear there, but it hurt. It was a wounding. It was a divisiveness, a corrosiveness. There was a backstabbing in it. He wasn't looking for the best in Paul. He was looking to tear him down. There was deception and there was heresy. And be careful. Make sure that in the church and make sure with your friendships, you are looking to build up, you are looking to encourage, you aren't looking to tear down. Make sure it's not a get even plan. Make sure it's working alongside of and hoping the best for and letting God take care of the rest. Alexander, he did not support the leadership and he did not give some kind word support to Paul along the way. And our job as we enter into the church, as we rally together on Sundays to celebrate the unifying God of the universe, is to make sure we celebrate oneness, not separation. That we celebrate bringing it together and caring for each other, not tearing it apart. Ready? And all of God's people said, and Paul's like, yeah, Alexander didn't have that down. That was one of those vacations we want to not remember. Let's get that pushed away. And, and uh, he says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Uh, Romans 12, 19 says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's like, don't, don't try to go and take it into your own hands. The job is not to try to go hurt him. God's going to manage that. God's got it in hand. The Lord will repay him. God is sovereign. And God's going to manage it. Now, we have to make sure we're careful on this. This doesn't mean that when God sees somebody doing something wrong, when there's sin, his goal is to go hurt them, right? That would be a misunderstanding of this passage. But I will say this, the loving God of the universe is putting his protective arms around us as believers, as the church, putting his protective arms around his hedge of protection, and for those who choose to tear down the church, the very work that Christ is doing, for those who are choosing to tear down leadership, to cause a stir, to bring people to follow them rather than to really follow after what Christ is doing, for those who are going after that, God just ever so slightly pulls in his hedge of protection and allows a little bit more touch to that person. And man, Satan will take any room he can get. 
And as the Lord pulls in his hedge of protection, Satan presses down on a little bit harder. And that's what Paul's talking about here. God will manage what's going to happen with Alexander. It's not for us to go and try to make the hurt get even, right? It's not that. And uh, Romans 12, 19, trust the Lord for it all. Man, I'm just going to tell you this for those who run after the divisiveness. Why in the world would you do it? Why go after it? Well, here's the reality. At first, sin somehow feels good. There's something we're going after that gives us a little feel-good moment, right? There is. Like otherwise, let's be honest, otherwise we're complete morons to do it, right? Like it doesn't even feel good in the moment. I have no idea why I'm doing it. There's some payoff. There's something that happens. Sin feels good in the moment, but man, in the long run, sin will hurt badly. And Paul's like, Alexander didn't get that. And he was running after the feel good of the moment. And he's going to be feeling the pain of the long term of that sin. Be careful. And may we stand with our God. May we stand with the church. May we stand with leadership. And may we be unifying in all that we do. And all of God's people said, huge calling. He says, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. So this gives you a little more understanding of some of the harm. He definitely stood against whatever Paul was saying, the message. And we know that Paul's greatest message was the gospel. There is a God, his name is Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. He has come into this world. He has died for us. He has risen for us. And by our faith in him, there can be life and salvation. How he harmed that message, we don't know. But whatever you do to harm that message, dude, it's messed up. Like there is massive heresy going on in it. Somehow not stating the truth about Christ or not stating the truth about sin or not stating the truth about the church, not stating the truth about the need for us to gain a savior. And somehow he was standing against it all. And he said he opposed our message. The ministry became under attack as he was limiting Paul. He was also now limiting the message. And Paul's like, be careful, Timothy, watch out. Uh, it must mean that Alexander was a bit of a smooth talker. Like, let's be honest, if Alexander was just this big, gruff, brash, harsh, tear it down all the time, nasty guy, you wouldn't even have to say, be careful, Timothy. You'd have to be like, I mean, I know you can see it, right? It's pretty obvious. He's like, watch out. There's some smooth talking and then backbiting. Man, Satan loves to work that way. And in this era of so many things that are going on that we could choose to disagree with, make sure you're not letting Satan get the whisper in your heart. Smooth talking, but backbiting. Be careful. Paul's like, watch out. This guy's dangerous. And I'll just tell you this, our role as pastors, our role as small group leaders, as shepherds in this church, elders, just so you know, our role is to care for the sheep, to nurture the sheep, but the role also is to shoot the wolf, to make sure we clearly are protecting as we move along. And that's what Paul's doing here. Like we have to clearly call out what needs to be cared for. May the church be safe and growing and all for God's glory. And uh, all too often, the church longs to see people always be kind, always seeing the pastor kind 
to those around. But all of a sudden, the divisive one is not being challenged. You know, Titus 3.10 says, warn a divisive person once, warn him twice, then have nothing to do with him. Man, bringing in the handiwork of Satan to the church and letting it foster, letting it fester, letting it take over in the church, that's a dangerous move. And our job is to call it out gently and carefully, but calling it out. Shoot that down. May the church be a place where God's character is celebrated, not Satan's. May the church be a place where God's character is celebrated, not Satan's. Man, that's a huge calling and a big deal. Paul then says, at my first defense, uh, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. It almost feels like Paul's changing topics, but he's like, this is how hard it was. He's reminiscing about some of the hard things going on. And he's like, man, that Alexander thing, that took a toll on me. And now I'm sitting in prison with the water dripping down and the moistness and the dampness and the lack of food and the horrible. And I'm just looking back and I'm remembering some of the rough stuff that took place. And he's like, man, when I was having my first hearing, the preliminary hearings for the trial, most likely is what he's talking about here. At the preliminary hearing, nobody came to my defense. See, what they allowed in Roman law is if you were actually going to be accused, they would actually have an advocate, almost like a witness, come early on in the preliminary hearings. And they'd be like, do you have anything to say about this guy? And they could be like, this is so hard for me to believe. Like, I know this guy, and I know their character, and I stand by them. I'm telling you, this guy's super stand-up and trustworthy. I, I wasn't there, but this is what I know of him. Those kinds of statements could be made. So there was a coming alongside, a backing up that could happen. And so they had the preliminary hearing, and the judge is like, are there any advocates here that would like to speak for this man's character? Can you imagine? You're Paul. You've taken a stand for Christ. You are longing to see Christ glorified. You are trying to raise him up. You're preaching the kingdom. The church is growing. But all of a sudden, Nero steps in and he starts getting rough with the Christians. He's beating them. He's murdering them, some of them being sent to animals to be eaten in the Roman Colosseum, many of them being killed one way or another, beheaded or otherwise, some of them being put up on posts lit on fire so that the streetways could be lit at night for people to walk along. Walking along to Christians, human beings burning alive, that's the environment these guys were in. And they're like, is there anybody here that wants to stand up for this guy? And they're like, maybe Paul pushed it a little far. I don't know that I'm with him. I, we got to see what happens on this one as they go quiet and separate away. And that's a tough one. And you can imagine how it would roll out. I mean, you can imagine 
a pastor starts speaking and he gets firm and he gets bold and he gets brazen and all of a sudden they start pushing back and somebody's like, stop, it's going to get worse. And Paul presses in more and, and then he ends up in prison and they're like, is there anybody that wants to stand alongside? And they're like, I've got a family. I, 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 can't, I can't just be taking a stand for, you're going to have to stand for what you did. Just you walk through that. So the judge says, is there anyone that wants to stand with this man and attest for his character? And that moment sat on Paul hard. He's like, I'm alone in this. This ministry that I love and Christ whom I glorify And man, I was left alone in it. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. Then he says, may it not be charged against them. May it not be charged against them. If you notice here, what Paul is actually setting up is like the night before my devastating moments, I was alone, just like Christ, left alone to suffer and struggle through Jesus alone. And then what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. What is Paul saying? Don't charge it against them. They didn't understand what was going on. They were trying to grasp it. They didn't have the bigger picture. The irony, Paul is not guilty and he is standing judgment. These people are guilty and he's saying, don't put them on judgment. Don't charge him. Just let it sit on me and let God Almighty give mercy in the midst. Paul knows the God of mercy. And as he reminisces on some of the harder things, he's like, bring mercy to what's happening. Man, if you are spending time remembering into your life and you can remember heartache or hurt or struggle, somebody came against, remember That is not to be the fuel that lights the fire so that you go at them to hurt back. You hand it to your God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He'll deal with it. And Lord, in as much as it depends on me, may I be at peace with all men. Paul's like, don't charge them. I'm living in that forgiving way. And this is a tough, tough call. When Satan's disease enters your family life or the church life, when it enters your world, are you ready to stand against? Not trying to bring retribution, but not allowing it to make an impact. Are you ready to take the stand so that a man of God standing up for Christ doesn't get left alone? That's what Paul's challenge was to Timothy and the church at Ephesus. You know, this past summer, my wife and I actually had a a little bit of an experience. We were, um, I told a few of you this story, but we were actually um, noticing that as we went out the front door to go for a walk, there were these um, droppings on the front porch, like little mouse droppings. We're like, what in the world? It just started up out of nowhere, you know? And the weather was changing. It was getting a little cooler. And we're like, ah, maybe, you know, there's mice trying to find some warmer spots. And, and so we're looking around and, you know, I would sweep it off. And then a day or two later, there's more droppings. 
And then a day or two later, more droppings. So I swept it up and I'm like, that's it. So we bought some mouse traps and we set them out. And we got the snapping kind and, uh, you know, try to be a little more humane of sorts. I'm not sure how humane that is, but a little more, right? So we get the snapping kind and we set those up and we try to get it set. And these droppings ended up going all around the traps, but not in it. And we're like, where are they going? Maybe it's that little hole right there. Maybe that's what it is. So we ended up going to get the glue traps. We're like, they're not getting off of that. We put it all up and around the hole. There's no way you got to climb over this. They'll get stuck in it, right? No, there's droppings all around it. Nothing stuck in it and ended up going through. In fact, we're like, what's going on? And the next day we came out, there's actually droppings in the glue trap. No mouse on the thing. I'm like, I am sick of this. So being a hunter, I went and got a trail cam out. And I set the trail cam up on the post. I'm like, we're going to see where this thing's going. And I hook it up. And for the next week, probably, we ran this thing. And it would trip four or five times a night. Never did see a mouse on the thing. Like, I don't know what that thing was doing, how it was going. I'm like, I don't get it at all. So I'm going to try to figure this out. I start to look up a little bit more details on how to catch mice. Why is this happening? And then on one of the uh, Google pages I was on, it said, heads up. It may not be mice, it may be bats. Yes, thank you for that face. I had that same face. What? And then it's talking about they're probably up there. So now, you know, every day you come out, you're looking at the droppings, and then you're looking around like this. Now you come out and you're like this. What in the world? Where is this thing? But it makes a lot more sense, like droppings getting in the trap. That's why it's not getting stuck. Okay, maybe it is a bat. Actually, one or two times when we came out, there was a bird that flew away. We thought... It was a bird. So maybe it was a bat, you know? So one night we actually went out and we sat on the edge of our street there, right on the grass. And uh, we were sitting there watching for the bat to come out. They're supposed to come out right around dusk. And we're like sitting there staring at our porch. I don't know what kind of weirdos we looked like. We're just like, don't you just love our house? Let's just go stare at it from the street, right? So we're sitting out there just staring at our front porch. Actually, some friends rode by on bikes. We sat and chatted with them as they talked with us a little bit about what we were doing with our bat hunt. And as we're staring out there, we actually never saw one come out. I'm like, I still don't get. So I looked up some more details. He's like, use sonar, use these. But these things are not cheap. And I'm like, do I really want to invest that much money for this? And it's a couple hundred dollars potentially for some of these more high-end and, you know, motion detectored. And, and then one of them said, actually, they don't really like the light. Just turn the lights on and see what happens. And I'm like, okay, let's see. It's been two weeks. We turned the light on. No more droppings again, ever. We literally only had to turn the light switch on. Man, I am telling you, the light pushed the bats away, and that was the end of it. And we haven't seen them since. We did all this trapping. We did all this other. Just keep the light on. Man, I'm telling you, it is this simple. The dark predators of this world stay away from the light. And it's true in the church as well. Man, may we be just beaming with the glory of Jesus Christ. May the light of Christ just be beaming off of us. And as we stand for Christ, and as the light just so penetrates, man, I'm telling you, it starts to push out those that don't want to hear of it. You may have to take your stand, but the reality is keep the light on. 
And all of God's people said, number one, defense against the wolf, keep the lights on. Number one, defense against the bat, keep the lights on. May this church be on fire for Jesus Christ. May we stand for him and may we not stand for sin. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man. All right. Point number two, allow God to strengthen you and proclaim God's truth with all you have. Allow God to strengthen you and proclaim God's truth with all you have. He says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Notice the contradiction, the word but. He's like, I was uh, left alone, humanly speaking. But the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. And you heard this song at the offertory. Man, we are surrounded by God Almighty. He puts his love, he puts his power, he puts his strength all around you. You are not alone. And may you drink deep of the presence of your almighty king. The Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. His presence, his peace, his insight, his power. He says, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. It's like, man, my message has been going out. The Lord God has been empowering. My message proclaimed completely to the Gentiles. Those who didn't know Christ at all, not even Jewish in nature, barely familiar with the Old Testament. They're coming to know the Savior Messiah as their king. Adopted into his family being able to praise him with all they've got. Man, this is a huge deal. Paul's like, I loved being able to share the truth that Jesus Christ, he is God Almighty. Jesus Christ, he died for me. He rose again for me. Jesus Christ, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And if I believe in him, I have hope and hope eternal. He's like, that message, the Gentiles were hearing it and lives were being changed. Paul was delivering whenever and wherever for the glory of Christ. He says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now, this is most likely a metaphor, right? Clearly a metaphor here. He's not saying that there was actually a lion loose in the den somewhere below where Paul was at in prison and he somehow survived, although he probably is referring to the Daniel and the lion's den kind of a moment. He's like, it's difficult. It's tough. It's as if a lion is, is here trying to take over, but Christ is protecting me and keeping me from going into the lion's mouth. Or maybe he's even referring to Nero and some of what he was doing with releasing some of these Christians into the Roman Colosseum and they were getting eaten by wild animals. And he's like, not this person. Praise God so far, God has been protecting and providing, and I will do his work and his ministry all the way to the end. He said, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Huge deal. Notice that he uses an example that really 
is massive and dangerous and scary. Notice he did not say, so I, I am healing from my stubbed toe. Right? Have you ever stubbed your toe? Like you're in the dark, you're like walking along and you hit your big toe on the edge of the table and it feels like, it feels like you're going to die, right? You feel that shooting pain and you're like, oh my word. Paul did not say, it feels like I stubbed my toe. He's like, I feel like I've been saved from the mouth of a lion that was going to eat me. It is worse than anything you could imagine on an everyday life. Imagine the most dangerous of dangerous. Imagine the most hard of hard. It is that bad. And God is carrying me through. I am not alone. May God get all the glory. He said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Now, we have to be really clear on this. This broken world brings pain. It brings suffering. It brings death. And there can be moments where heartache washes on our shore or where hurt does. There can be moments where people wish ill will on us. But I'm telling you, if God in his sovereignty doesn't want it, it's not happening. If the hedge of protection is up, then you're protected. And that's the reality to it. Safe because God's sovereign arms are around. And yet he does allow us to walk through this world. And he does allow some things to wash on our shore. The hedge of protection brought in, pinched in a little bit. And we taste of it in different ways, shapes, and forms. When Paul says here, I'm telling you, there's no evil that's going to touch me. He's like, the sovereign hand of God is on and the only thing that's going to happen is what he so chooses. And there will be a moment where I may come home to glory. Praise God for that moment. But God's sovereign hand on, I'm being watched over. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, and don't miss this. There is absolute protection in the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is hope in him. And Paul is like, there's nothing going to happen to me except what God so deems fit. And then I will be going home to glory. Praise God for it. He says he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul's like, don't miss it. My eternity and my spiritual security cannot be messed with. God has brought me spiritual safety like you would not believe. And I praise God for the heaven I'm headed home to. Man, all too often, um, please hear my heart on this, all right? All too often, we desire to try to make this world perfect when really that's the paradise to come. All too often, we try to dress this place up and get comfortable we're striving to get to a point where there's no pain, no sorrow, no heartache, no hurt. Nothing washes on my shore. That's eternity. We're, stri we're struggling to make it no tears, never a wash up. That's heaven forever. Praise God, man, we're headed there. We are headed to perfection. And all of God's people said, and while we're in this broken world, the God of the universe struggling with us, walking alongside of us right here with me. And he walks me through and he so chooses and I will worship him. 
No matter the comfort, my God gets all the glory. Man, may that be our battle cry. May we celebrate it with all we've got. And Paul's like, my spiritual safety is in his hands forever, and there isn't one evil being that can put it in challenge. He says, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To God be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's celebrate the Jesus who has it all in hand. To God be the glory forever and ever. That's Paul's celebration. And there has been some hard moments, but I have a great God who is with me and I can't wait to see what God does. And now Paul brings just a warmth of relationship to close it out as he remembers some of the people. He says, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Right? He's like, hey, these, those, those people that I know and love in Ephesus, give them a shout out from me. Today, you'd pick up your phone and you'd text them. You know, you're like, hey man, just thinking of you. Hope things are going well, right? But he didn't have a way to do that. So he's shooting the shout out in a written letter. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. He's like, just so you know what's going on with some of the guys you love. Like I'm giving you a shout out to some of the key players, but also I know these guys matter to you. So here's what's happening to them. And Erastus is in Corinth at the church there and helping things go on there. And Trophimus was ill. And so he stayed back at Miletus and he's healing there. Man, the missionary journey was rough. And Paul's giving him an update on some of the loved ones. He says, do your best to come to me before winter. There's a loneliness here. And there's a desire for friendship and a recognition that winter will bring probably a long delay of Timothy being able to get there. And he's, man, if you could get here early, that'd be great. I'd love to be able to talk with you and to chat with you. He says, Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. This is the church at Rome. Like the church at Rome gives you the shout out, man. And they're letting you know that they're doing well and they appreciate you. He says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The close to the letter is probably the battle cry for us on a daily basis as we fan the flame on our heart. The Lord be with your spirit. May God be with you on a day-by-day basis as he is your peace, as he is your presence, as he is your power, as he is your strength. May you look to your God, may you lean on him, and may you find him your ever-present help. May God get all the glory. No matter what washes on, my God can, my God will, and even if my God doesn't, I will worship him. And all of God's people said, man, as we fan the flame, may we look to Jesus Christ, our strength and our peace. Let's pray.